Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Tech Disruptors podcast brought to you by Bloomberg Intelligence, the investment research arm of Bloomberg. My name is Matthew Bloxham, a senior analyst covering telecom, media, and technology based in London. And I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, Nigel Vaz, CEO of Publicis Sapient. In this podcast, we'll be lifting the hood on Publicis Sapient to understand more about the company, how it fits within the wider Publicis group, and what the future might hold. Nigel, a very warm welcome to you. I'm really glad you've been able to join us on this podcast today. I know that Publicis Sapient has been a really important part of Publicis Group's success story in recent years. So it's going to be great to learn more about the business and where it's headed. So Nigel, you've been CEO of Publicis Sapient uh, since 2019, but I think you've been with the business quite a bit longer, something like 20 years or so predating Publicis Group's acquisition of the business. So um, I guess you must know the business inside out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've obviously felt very lucky to have been part of the business for as long as I have. When I started at Sapien, it wasn't even a tenth the size it is today, and the founders were still running the business. So I've been lucky to have the opportunity to not only see the business through so many evolutions in, in its history, but been able to shape that both as somebody who was part of the company before running it, and now having the privilege and experience uh, to, to essentially be entrusted to nurture the culture and people and determine its future uh, in, in the world. So it's a, it's it's really a fantastic uh, opportunity. So, so in the first section of our conversation, uh, what I'd like to do is help our listeners to get a better picture of what Publicis Sapient actually is. I guess no, no better person than the CEO to, to do that. Um, so I, I know that you describe the business as a, a digital business transformation company. Maybe you can kind of help our listeners understand what, what that really means. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. But I, I think there's probably three parts, you know, for me that really get to understanding Publicis Sapien. It's, you know, who we are, what we do and how we do it. Right. So the first is who we are. And as a company, when we were, you know, founded, we were always anchored in a very deep purpose and core values, uh, which are grounded in the impact that we create for our clients and the impact that we help them create for their customers. And this grounds our team in more than just you know, what we deliver, but ultimately what it is, the impact we're trying to create through our clients in, in the world at large, right? And that's been very similarly at our, our core. Um, and, and some of our work has been you know, captured in most recently a documentary filmmaker, an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker making a film on the impact of some of our work in, the Los Angeles Public Defender's Office, amongst others. Um, the second is, you know, what you talked about, right, is the thing that, you know, what is it we do, digital business transformation or DBT for short for us, is fundamentally about helping our clients remain competitive and relevant in an increasingly digital world. And how we do this is by helping them build capabilities and ways of working so they can operate as a truly digital business in a world that is increasingly digital. And how we do this is through five capabilities that sit at the core of what we believe is central to how we operate as a digital company and what we believe our clients need to embody. And we call this our SPEED capabilities. Uh, and SPEED, as you might gather, is an acronym. So it's strategy, product, experience, engineering, data, and AI. Um, and from inception, our business has been designed around collaboration across these five dimensions. And I think of them as like fingers on a hand. And that today allows us to combine these five speed capabilities to deliver much bigger impact for our clients. 
um, but also help them embed these capabilities that allow them to break through silos where these capabilities exist in their own organizations, which enable real innovation. I, mean, I love that speed and acronym. Um, it's you know, kind of, I guess it must give a great uh, clarity to your, your your staff about you know what, what their mission is, and I guess also clarity to your clients about what it is you're you're delivering to them as, as a service. Um, and I, I was kind of interested in something you said um, a few minutes ago about you know, how the business has grown, and that you know it wasn't even a tenth of the size when, when you kind of first got involved. So maybe you can kind of help us understand what the kind of scale of the business is today. Yeah, I mean, we we've talked about it publicly as part of Publicis Group earnings that you know Publicis Sapient is 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 you know north of a two billion dollars in terms of its its size today, and when it was uh, acquired, it was. Um, around 1.3 billion and when i when i started of course much much uh, you know smaller than uh, than that and it's about um 20 plus thousand people based in 53 offices around the world and we operate through what we call our globally distributed delivery model which means almost all of our teams across geographies you know representing these speed capabilities uh, are you know um essentially connected in delivering for our clients. North America is, is is where we were founded and still our biggest geography. We have a big uh, business in EMEA, uh, Europe and the Middle East, and then we have uh, businesses in in um, Asia Pacific and most recently Latin America where we've, uh, we entered earlier this year. Um, and so we are, you know, kind of global, but not just global in terms of our operations and where we are based and our client base, which which of course it is, but also in terms of how we work leveraging our capabilities on a on a distributed basis. And I guess um, we've seen the worlds of advertising, marketing, and technology consulting converge a lot over the past decade, and I imagine that was uh, at least part of the motivation behind Publicis Group's interest in the business when um, when the merger took place. I mean. Given that changing landscape that you operate in, I mean, who would you say are your kind of most direct rivals, the companies you come across most when you're pitching for new business? And you, what is the, the, the USP or USPs that, that really set Publicis Sapient apart from, from those businesses? You know, so Publicis Sapient fundamentally is a, a services business in, in the consulting and technology space, right? And what sets us apart really is how we bring our capabilities together where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So rather than taking a kind of strategy first consulting approach or a systems integration approach, our orientation to speed, you know, which essentially if I were to just delve into that acronym a little bit, right, is strategies being really clear on what um, hypothesis uh, you were developing and testing and where are the value pools you're trying to unlock. That is the focus of strategy and that capability uh, you know, in, in, in many cases is found in a lot of the traditional, you know, MBB strategy firms, but through people in those organizations, we embody, uh, but with a very specific focus uh, around how it connects to the next thing, which is product. And so product is all about saying, rather than digital transformation being a project that begins and ends, how do you embody a product mindset where you're constantly evolving at pace and scale? The E is experience. So how do you actually enable the experience of the employees in an organization and ultimately their customers where their experience becomes 
the hallmark of why somebody would choose to engage with the organization and it delights and 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 allows you to you know fall in love with a service or a product then thinking about engineering much more than about risk and cost which is where it has sat in the historical legacies and organizations and thinking about engineering in the context of value and differentiation and how you actually create in this new digital world and then finally data and ai which is how do you validate hypotheses and 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 you know uncover insights against the strategy and all of the other capabilities so that you're constantly iterating and of course with ai now um, being a big building block on top of your data foundations how do you you know continually automate and generate so if you think about those speed capabilities as essentially uh, you know, things that work together in concert to imbue uh, our clients' businesses and our own business with capabilities that we bring to bear on solving one specific problem, which is how do you as an organization not just survive, but thrive in a digital world? I think it creates real differentiation for us because we were founded almost 30 years ago as pioneers of the early days of the internet. You know, we were um, companies that built some of the world's first online banks, some of the first world's first equities trading platforms. And so we were transforming the way businesses became digital, you know, back in the early days of the internet. Fast forward to today, we are helping, uh, you know, launch and build some of the most disruptive digital solutions for, for our clients. Um, to tackle, you know, so many complex problems through the amalgamation of these key speed capabilities. So I think our legacy, the orientation and capability set that we bring, and the real examples of work from transforming, you know, automotive companies and launching some of the world's first, you know, trade finance banks today from, uh, you know, thinking about new ways that uh, banks provide services and products. That the combination of those things, I think, makes us uh, a really compelling proposition for our clients. Hmm. I, I know I've got, I've got a couple of um, questions left in this section. Uh, I'm actually going to flip them around because because you mentioned AI, and I guess you know, it's impossible to have a conversation about technology these days uh, without talking uh, about AI. You, you kind of touched on it, and I guess you know how how quickly has AI you know become a really big part of the conversation you have with your your clients and you know are they would you say that your your clients are kind of really kind of looking to companies like publisher sapient uh for as much advice and guidance they get i guess that guidance they can get i guess really on how they should integrate ai into into their strategies Absolutely. And, you know, look, AI, every client's talking about it today, right? But like with DBT, they're all in different places. So when you think about, you know, some of these conversations, they might be about understanding what their AI vision is in the context of the organization, where we're helping them think about strategy. Then very quickly, it moves to understanding where the strategy is going to help them unlock value and what activities can create the kind of experimentation or adoption they're looking for. But again, this is all the tip of the iceberg, right? For many companies, they're moving from experimentation through truly embedding AI in the ways of working, which requires building data foundations uh, and engineering foundations, which connect back to the broader transformation efforts they, they have. And we've been investing in, in AI you know, for a long time in generative AI uh, as part of our you know, speed uh, 
you know, kind of framework and certainly, uh, you know, have, again, built up enough momentum having done this for, for a while that, you know, just very recently HFS, which is one of the uh, market research firms in the consulting space named us as a market leader in their horizons generative AI report um, only, uh, you know, this week. Uh, and that uh, is driven largely by how we connect generative AI to the rest of our speed capabilities, because our belief certainly is that AI is not a thing in and of itself. We believe it's going to permeate every aspect of an organization's broader transformation. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we, a couple of years ago, announced something called Publicis Sapient AI Labs. And earlier this year, it was a jo joint venture. And earlier this year, we acquired the, the, the rest of it. Um, and the reason, um, you know, for the acquisition is to continue to strengthen our data science and AI capabilities, including generative AI and natural language processing and computer vision and autonomous systems, all of which are derivative spaces around AI, where we bring together this kind of work to, to solve, um, you know, complex problems for, for clients. Like one of our clients is an example, uh, is the Royal Horticultural Society where, you know, they, they essentially are uh, responsible now for what is one of the largest databases of flowers in the world. And from taking a picture of a flower and being able to recognize what kind of flower it is to then deriving how you actually look after a particular, you know, that kind of plant or, or flower to then uh, being able to connect it to e-commerce systems that allow you to procure things uh, that allow you to do that. This starts to give you an example of, you know, um, and, and then of course have, having a conversational AI that allows you to interact with that. It starts to give you a sense of how, you know, all of these different components of AI start to come together from data and AI vision to what the supporting roadmaps are to create prototypes for specific use cases. Um, to ultimately building, you know, uh, and choosing the right large language model foundations based on their own data to create, you know, huge amounts of value. Yeah, I mean, there just seem to be so many different facets to the uh, the AI story right now. And uh, you, you you mentioned one there, which I find quite interesting, which which is data and, and companies' own data. You know, obviously, there's a huge amount of complexity around the technology involved in AI, but there's also a lot of complexity around a company's data that they uh, they rely on to train these models to kind of generate these these tools that, that create value for them. I mean, how how important is that that kind of data conversation as well as the, the kind of technology conversation with with your clients it's it's incredibly important right because like seeing that you you want to progress on ai without thinking about your data foundations and how your data is going to be used to inform models would be like saying you want to run a marathon but you you can't jog right now for five minutes right and and we're seeing that in in organizations i mean you know a lot of people look at open ai and and you know you you kind of see some of the amazing uh you know uh generative ideas and thinking that comes from it but you also see a lot of things like hallucinations and issues and that's because it's been trained on a data set called the internet by a hundred million uh people out in the world right and that level of rigor is not what you would expect if you were looking for uh, a, a you know an AI you know chat conversation from your telecoms company talking about you know what is the best um, cell phone plan for you, right? 
because it would need a, a level of specificity, a level of accuracy, a level of reliability that can only come from building up models that allow that telecoms company to ensure that the AI would really reliably be predicting the next best action for you, given how much you travel and the context within which you use your phone as an example, which is like a real life use case I'm talking about now. So in that instance, you have to also worry about things like ethics and bias. So working with a bank on lending, you know, in the context of mortgages, how do you ensure that, you know, people of color, as an example, or people uh, with certain financial profiles aren't deprived of a mortgage because the determination is being made by, made by an AI. So I think you have to have a lot more thought around governance, around ethics, around bias in order to start to build this. Uh, and that comes from data foundations that are robust in these organizations. You know, that doesn't come from, um, that doesn't come from, uh, you know, general, uh, you know, data out there. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's an incredibly um, fascinating field. I'm sure it's going to be one that, that, that evolves um, at a rapid pace in the next uh, few years. Um, so I, th I think the conversation so far has given us a really uh, helpful uh, framework about you know what Publicis Sapient is. And I guess that what I'd like to do now is shift the conversation to understand a little bit more about how you operate within the wider Publicis group because you, know, you are part of a, a wider group which you know covers media, uh, creative, uh, and data through Epsilon. So I mean, how how does Publicis Sapient operate within that within that wider publicist group? I mean, is it um, a collaboration effort or did you kind of largely operate on a standalone basis? No, I, I think we, we absolutely um, operate, you know, at distinct businesses, but in a very collaborative context, because I think the way publicist group has architected itself is to essentially operate like a platform where you have each distinct business but each of these businesses are connected through what we call the power of one, where we're able to bring incredible capability across creative, media, data, and um, you know, business transformation uh, to our clients, right? And allowing us to create uh, an end-to-end -end experience across the customer journey from creating awareness to how a customer purchases to the underlying platforms and capabilities and experiences uh, that that customer would engage with. And we've seen that demand for that power of one capability, you know, definitely grow over time. Uh, and so the model works in, in all directions, which means in some cases, you know, the way I, I, I think about this is, you know, no matter which place you start, it's a connected ecosystem. So effectively, uh, where another part of publicist group might have an opportunity where they see the need for transformation or vice versa, where we see an opportunity for media, creative and epsilon, all of those, you know, are are um, are how um, you know we are essentially um, working together. And you know, we talked about AI just now, um, whether it's AI or generative AI. And you know, Publicis Sapien, of course, we advise clients on the implications of generative AI, but we're also leading the charge for Publicis's group's own, you know, generative AI transformation efforts, right? Which again then further embeds not just common ways of working and collaboration, but also tools and systems and processes at the very core of uh, of how we do things. Like we built Marcel, which is a platform that 
Publicis announced with AI at its core with, you know, um, um, Satya Nadella and Artur, the CEO of, of Microsoft and Publicis Group, you know, together, um, you know, putting Marcel at the heart of how we drive so many of the interactions that our people have across pieces of work that uh, that basically come in or how somebody might actually get assigned to a, a piece of work or how we share knowledge and information. And this has been part of the company now for you know a, a few years. But as AI and, and the tools and technology have evolved, we're also continuing to uh, imbue new ideas like we launched you know, Publicis Chat much earlier this year, which is our own model, uh, not only embedding generative and production capability on one side, but, but also uh, you know, how we write software and, and, and drive, you know, um, uh, development of software and, and all those things are, are part of the same uh, framework of collaboration that starts with structure, but very practically translates to, you know, how we do things day to day. Yeah, I can, I can remember talking to some people about Martel, um, you know, around that launch time, and I think it, it very quickly seemed to get pretty widespread tra traction uh, across the group. And I know that uh, Arthur has um, yeah, uh, referenced it a number of times on, on the earnings calls. I mean, one thing that was interesting that you kind of referenced, say, you know, this kind of concept of a connected ecosystem, uh, you know, some of the things that I'd kind of uh, jotted down that I was curious to understand a bit more, you know, maybe kind of something about, you know, the the incentives that different parts of um, the publicist group have to, to cross-sell or what you, what you feel you need to do as Publicis Sapient to educate other parts of Publicis Group about the business so that when they see those opportunities, they can make that connection um, back, back to you so that the, the, the business kind of can take advantage of all the opportunities that are out there for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll start by just saying, you know, the structure of Publicis Group is extraordinarily simple, right? Under our tour, we have a group of people called the Directoire Plus, which basically is a group of like four people uh, and five, including him, that basically run the entirety of the company. So we are extraordinarily well connected on what are the large opportunities, what are the clients, what are the trends in the business. So I think beyond incentives, there's also a human connection mm -hmm. uh, at the publicist group level. But then the thing that's driving this beyond our own connectedness, right, is the patterns that we'll see CMOs and CTOs uh, and CIOs and CEOs uh, who are looking for this you know, form of thinking, right? Because where you see CMOs will engage perhaps largely with our media colleagues or our creative colleagues, largely that world is getting intermediated by uh, ad tech and martech requirements, which require connected thinking. Or you think about, you know, a traditional CIO, CTO function, a big part of what they're doing involves technology that is enabling customer service or marketing, which again, makes us the providers of tools, the users for which are our um, colleagues across Publicis Group and their clients. So there is a general C-suite shift happening through digital and, and needing to transform that creates the opportunities which then further enable us to drive our own desire for connectedness, right? So it's not so much just we're saying, hey, how can we go in and sell all these different things to these 
people or cross-sell. It's more also the pull aspect where those entities themselves are seeing more needs across how these things connect, especially when it comes to customer ecosystems like with CDPs, which are the technological or data platform around you know, a lot of their media and advertising and, and, and you know, uh, uh, um, uh, consumer data as an example, right? right? Like those are two sides of the same coin because when you think about the end-to-end -end journey for many of these organizations from a, a customer seeing a piece of media all the way through to uh, then engaging with some creative and advertising and eventually ending up on an owned property, uh, the, the cycle across this bought, owned, earned, you know, connection uh, requires the kind of connection that we have built as as publicists group. So I think it's both outside in from our side, mm -hmm. but also uh, inside out. Yeah, it's interesting. And, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned lots of kind of C-suite um, positions there, and I guess, or maybe it's 10, 15, 20 years ago, but, you know, the, I guess historically advertising, marketing around the kind of CMO as the kind of client anchor, but uh, increasingly, given this is a kind of business strategy issue, more a CEO level kind of um, uh, initiative, which I imagine kind of publicists say can bring some value to with the group. I can imagine a lot more your projects are at that kind Absolutely. of CEO level. Absolutely. And and we, we for sure, I think, um, uh, understand the drivers of transformation at the CEO level and how they need to kind of, you know, move their organization forward and to some extent can actually help facilitate and create the, uh, the connectedness that allows, you know, for both their drivers of, of connecting the dots across the organization come to fruition, but also our drivers because it allows us to support them on multiple fronts and partner with them on you know every aspect of uh, of of where they need support. So in many instances, it might start with uh, a media pitch, uh, and that very quickly then you know relies on well, how are you going to use this this media information to influence what's happening on your own channels or to influence. Um, the experiences that um, the customers have post login, right? And then all of a sudden that, you know, strays into a world of CDPs and ad tech and martech. And normally a CEO might be sitting there with two parts of the organization, not talking to each other, but not really understanding why they can't get the benefit of those things being brought together. And in large part, that comes from the incentives of different companies who play in those different spaces. We're able to bridge that uh, you know, in a, in a way that's very compelling to them. So, so in our final section of conversation, I'd like to switch things more to focus on the future and, and what lies ahead for Publicis Sapient. Um, you know, what, what would you describe as the big priorities um, for the business? You know, is it about doing the same thing, but with more scale or in uh, strengthening specific geographies? You know, how do you see the kind of midterm for the for the company? Yeah, look, I think, you know, we've been scaling the business, um, or, you know, over the last several years, right? And that scale takes kind of two forms, right? One is our presence in markets through growing the business. The second is in scaling our capabilities, which is growing and evolving our capability set. In the midterm, you know, both, of course, will continue to be priorities, right? And last year, we've seen headwinds uh, in some of our more established markets. And we're seeing, you know, we're still seeing growth, but we'll continue to push in, in areas 
which you know formed the majority of our, our revenue, but also continue to expand in geographies that were not in. Right. The second piece is capability. We're expanding that in kind of two ways through hiring and building our partner ecosystem, as well as exploring things like joint ventures and other mechanisms. Uh, um, I mentioned investments around things like AI, but we're also making investments in cloud. And we were recognized by Google this year as their cloud partner of the year in sustainability, which is another opportunity area of the future. Uh, and, you know, and while it sounds, you know, essentially like, um, you know, continuing to do more of what we do, my belief is definitely that as digital continues to increase in its importance, no matter what aspect a CEO is focused on, right? If you're trying to drive growth, you know, that's got to come digitally. If you're trying to be more efficient, that's got to come digitally. If you're trying to think about sustainability, that's got to come more digitally. And as that continues to be the case, I think it moves us up the strategic value chain of being an indispensable transformation partner, which is ultimately for me the most important aspect of, of scale for us because it allows us to take mindshare in some of the largest organizations in the world. Um, which in turn, I think, will help them transform and us continue to grow, um, in particular with things like AI um, becoming, you know, continually more important as a, as a topic. And, you know, I, I guess when you, you think about, you know, the, the, the forward strategy for the group, you know, that there's always uncertainty in the wider market, I guess. Uncertainty is probably at a pretty high level right now compared to kind of other parts of the cycle. I mean, does that have any impact on what you think the, the, the midterm vision for, for the business should be? Or is it more just about the, the tactical decisions you need to make over the next 12 months or so to kind of make sure you navigate that uncertainty uh, in as efficient or effective way as you can? Yeah, I mean, look, if you think about the challenges, you know, facing leaders today, I think there's a combination of a period of massive change with digital is one of those changes, along with assessing where the businesses are in the context of this very tough macroeconomic environment, wars, high inflation, and in many areas of the world, upcoming election cycles, right? So, so naturally, from our perspective, the combination of those things has made clients cautious on their spending. But what we've seen is that caution is a delay not a cut and the reason for that is basically because businesses by and large hate uncertainty and you know in the macroeconomic environment that we're in now that uncertainty essentially in particular affects capex which we're exposed to certainly from a publicist safety perspective that you know uh, you know means that you are seeing things you know get uh, affected but our belief is when we look at the avenues to growth and we look at frankly the non-negotiable shift that digital is going to become an even more uh, an important driver of all of these organizational priorities um, particularly driven by ai and given the fact that we have been pioneers of the last 30 years and have pivoted to embrace every phase of that digital transformation and continue to see growth through the you know financial crisis through COVID and, and, and now through the current context that we see ourselves in, uh, we think the strategic thesis for DBT will only um, continue to increase as the world you know, comes to grips with this, uh, with this new uh, way of, of operating business. And so, so to us, I think it, you know, there, is a, um, there is a kind of midterm vision, which is a constant, but the near-term decisions have to be, 
you know, reflective of tactically what we're seeing in specific markets or specific areas of the business. You mentioned you know, one of the um, aspects of your your scale expansion was was capabilities, and I guess you're you're very much a people based business. Um, so, so how do you think about the development path for your, your twenty plus thousand staff you have today, and what new skills you need them to to develop? Um, to, I guess particularly around AI, but not maybe necessarily just AI. Uh, and you, know, where are you kind of focusing your kind of resourcing, uh, looking for new human capital, and you know, what, how how hot is the battle, I guess, for talent right now, given the focus on AI? Yeah, I think look, the 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 simple um, you know view for me, right, is capability building is not happening you know more or less because of ai or because of you know we for the longest time maintained this orientation that says you know you make progress in our organization the more you focus on your ability to learn than what you know because our, our belief is that we are in this constant loop of learning unlearning and relearning and that learning, unlearning, and relearning loop just gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And AI has put a, a finer point on it, because our belief is that you know even with AI right now, let's say you know you skill a whole bunch of people in using the platforms uh, that allow them to write code faster as a copilot or design better. Those platforms are going to continue to evolve on a very rapid pace. So you might suddenly find yourself. Uh, you know, having somebody who used to be a designer now actually being able to design entirely with words, which means they're limited uh, less by their ability to use a tool and more by their imagination. So how do you constantly enable people to be in this, like learn it all mode rather than mm -hmm. focusing on being a know-it-all, I think is at the core of what it means to be a, a services business today because um, we have to maintain this idea of a constant uh, learning, unlearning, and relearning environment in order to accelerate. And, and that is very much something we've had as one of our core values. You know, our purpose is helping people thrive in the brave pursuit of next. And those people are as much our own people in terms of what's coming next as, as they are our clients and, and their people. I think that that learning, unlearning, and relearning is a kind of fantastic uh, philosophy philosophy for for us all to kind of uh, take away and uh, embrace. I think given the the world we uh, we live in and, and work in right now. Um, so Nigel, that brings us to the end of our time together. It's been a fascinating conversation. I've definitely learned a huge amount more about, about the business than I did coming into this call. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk with us and you know my very best wishes to you, uh, Publicist Sapien and the wider group um, to continue the success you've been enjoying over the last few years. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation too.